The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. I am so happy and pleased that you decided to join us today. So whether you're a caregiver for a child, a young adult, a senior, or as most of our listeners are, a caregiver for multiple generations, you realize that the issues you confront as a caregiver are just very, very similar. One of the primary problems is really dealing with conflicting feelings. So as caregivers, we experience a wide range of emotions, anywhere from affection and love to the next minute, maybe perhaps feeling resentment and anger, from humility and forgiveness to sudden feelings of guilt and helplessness. And unfortunately, all of these feelings are often built on a foundation of anxiety, stress, and let's face it, most of the time we're exhausted. So what we really need are tips to make the journey just a little bit easier. Our guests today are Dr. Barry Jacobs and Dr. Julia Mayer, and they are the authors of AARP, Meditations for Caregivers, Practical, Emotional, and Spiritual Support for You and Your Family. And this means all ages. It really does mean all ages. Both of our guests today have been family caregivers and have personally experienced many of these feelings. Dr. Barry Jacobs is a clinical psychologist and family therapist, and since 2008, he has been the national spokesperson on family caregiving for the American Heart and the American Stroke Association and blogs about caregiving for AARP.org. Dr. Julia Mayer is also a clinical psychologist, and she specializes in women's issues, including caregiving and other relationship concerns. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. Thank you so much, Meryl. It's great to be here. Oh, well, thank you so much. Julia, I, let's start with you. Would you share with us your personal story um, about being a family caregiver? In 2008, my mother had heart surgery, and um, it went fine, and then a few days later, she had a terrible side effect that turned out to be terminal, and so she died very suddenly and unexpectedly, and she had been my father's caregiver. He, has, uh, he had had a number of strokes uh, with multi-infarct dementia, diabetes, kidney disease, He'd had occluded vision from some of his strokes and needed care. So um, I have three other siblings, two brothers and a sister, and we were sort of caught up in 
how to take care of him all of a sudden. Um, and so we all had to adjust our lives and come together and figure out what to do. My older brother lived closest to my father and did the brunt of the care. Um, and I would go, it's about three hours drive every other weekend and um, give him a break and take care of my dad. And uh, that lasted about a year and a half um, until he did pass away. And um, then it was painful and difficult, um, but also rewarding because my siblings and I all became closer to each other. We all found roles for everyone. Uh, my sister had young children at the time, but she still found time to visit with my dad and take him to some of his doctor's appointments. I have a brother across the country, but he would fly in and um, give everyone a break while he spent time with my dad. And, and because we had open communication and we worked hard at it and were very conscious of trying to make it work, even though it was not fair in terms of how much each of us contributed, there's no way to make it fair. Um, it ended pretty well, and I, I think it, um, it left us all feeling good about the efforts we made. You know, Julia, I'm I'm really happy to hear that because we hear so many stories about families that just go into conflict um, and the person ends up um, passing away and family members become estranged or they never talk to one another again or it's always a very strained relationship. So it's... feels very good to hear about, you know, a family that worked it out and, and that you are capable of working it out. It took Barry, a lot of effort, but it did work out. Barry, could you share with us your story? Sure. So uh, we had really just finished caring for Julia's father, uh, and then uh, within the, the next six months, I became aware that my mother and stepfather, who were living uh, in a gated golf community in South Florida, living the good life, I, I, we became aware that they were having some very uh, bad difficulties. My stepfather uh, had d- dementia, which was progressing much more rapidly, and my mother had chronic pain uh, and uh, was frail and was just having uh, a more and more difficult time uh, caring for him. Uh, so I, I started flying down uh, from Philadelphia, where where we live, down to Florida to to you know do what I could for them, uh, and then we eventually decided to move them up uh, from Florida to live uh, about a mile from us in an apartment, uh, and, and that happened in 2010. And at that point, uh, you know we we were caring for them uh, three, four, five days a week, going over, making them dinner, uh, uh, eventually hiring home health aides. Uh, you know, cleaning their apartments, doing doing a lot of hands-on work for them, um, and then as my stepfather continu- continued to decline, my mother decided that she couldn't care for him any longer, and he went into a nursing home. Uh, and then, unfortunately, my mother herself has continued to decline and has developed dementia herself, um, as well as uh, developing the tendency to, to fall a lot. And uh, everybody knows that when older people fall, they're they're prone to breaking bones, and that you know, my mother had many broken bones. So uh, we, we've been, my mother now herself uh, went into a nursing home about six months ago, uh, and, and Julia and I continue to, to care for her there, uh, visiting on a regular basis. Uh, so, you know, all, all told from 2008 until till now, we, we, we've spent most of our time caring for one parent or another. At the same time that we had teenage children growing up and heading toward college, and uh, we needed to be there for them, too, and we both work full-time. So it's been a tough time. 
Uh, it that, sounds like a tough time, but it. But thank you for writing your book and and sharing those experiences and giving so many tips, which we're going to hear. So, Julia, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges for caregivers? Well, I always think about emotion. I mean, there are certainly a whole lot of activities that caregivers have to do that are difficult, challenging, overwhelming, navigating the medical system, figuring out uh, medication and safety. But I, as a psychologist, um, I tend to focus on on the emotion. And and I think at least the people who come to see me who are caregivers and and among my family and friends, the most challenging thing is dealing with just overwhelming feelings of um, anxiety, trouble sleeping, um, sometimes anger and resentment among family members, um, and certainly uh, difficult, angry feelings between the caregiver and perhaps the mother whom she's caring for. A lot of those feelings can be based on old dynamics in the relationship, but they pop up during caregiving and, and make it all the more challenging. So the question becomes um, that we often get frustrated with ourselves. We don't think we're a good enough caregiver. Or we resent the caregiving, but we get very frustrated. I mean, what are your suggestions for handling that? I mean, how do you get yourself calmed down? How do you get refocused? It's a challenge. Um, uh, so one of the things I talk to people about is trying to separate the old relationship with the current relationship. For example, a mother and daughter who, uh, while the daughter was growing up, the mother was in charge, controlling, opinionated, uh, and, and the daughter made a, might have been accommodating. And now, years later, the daughter is taking care of the mother who's losing her independence, which is very hard for her. And the daughter, no matter what she does, the mother is... Con- complaining about her or criticizing her, and the daughter um, needs to deal with her feelings about whether she's doing a good job regardless of what her mother says. And so there's a difference between the old dynamics and now the daughter is an accomplished adult and needs to think about her own feelings about what she's doing and not be so susceptible to what her mother might say to her. As a matter of fact... I try to help people have compassion for the person that they're giving the care to because that person is struggling because they are losing those abilities that have been so important to them. So that's part of the conversation. I try to help people reflect on what they really are doing and what it means to them and, um, and make their own judgments about how well it's going and not be so vulnerable to what other people say and the advice they get and, and, and that sort of thing. So that really gets me to my next question, um, Barry, and that is, you know, part of, an important part of caregiving is trusting your own judgments, trusting your own decisions. But, you know, people get anxious and they get concerned. So how do you get better, actually, at following your own instincts and trusting your own judgment? One of the things that we talk with caregivers about is is that nobody uh, is an expert on their loved one uh, other than them. Uh, I mean, there you know people may be meeting with uh, a psychologists, they may be meeting with physicians uh, who may offer valuable advice, but 
the, the caregiver is the one who really knows uh, what a caregiver's personality is like, what their needs are, and uh, uh, so the caregiver has to trust their own expert knowledge in, in that regard. Um, we, in our book, we, t- we have a section called Trust Your Instincts, where we give some specific ideas for you know, how to help folks really just appreciate that uh, their contribution is essential and that the, you know, the care receiver really wouldn't be able to, to manage it all uh, and that, that, there's, you know, that no caregiver needs to be perfect in the work that they do. What we often talk about is how important it is for people to realize that you know, caregiving needs to just be good enough. And good enough means that their loved one is, is reasonably well cared for if, and, and not necessarily perfectly well cared for. Uh, so we, we we try to encourage caregivers to to uh, to, to not uh, to, you know aim too high, but, it, but it, to uh, aim at a at a goal that's a, that is sustainable over time, and where they feel good about themselves for the work that they're doing. You know, it's interesting to me because it's a concept that we talked about actually in a previous show when we talked about family estrangement. Um, And we talked about that as parents, um, we try to be really outstanding parents, but we make mistakes. And we do it with the best of intentions, but sometimes we make mistakes. Um, And so I think that ability to kind of accept that you're going to make some mistakes um, and live with it, and they're not disastrous, um, I think it's hard for people. It, it is very hard. In, in the book, I, I tell a story about uh, how my mother always loved classical music, and uh, even though she uh, was on, you know, needed to walk with a walker in order to maintain her balance, I decided to take her to uh, the Kimball Center, which is the big concert hall in Philadelphia, so she could see the Philadelphia Orchestra, um, And but she couldn't use her walker to, to get through the narrow aisles. So that day, we decided to take her cane, which she hadn't really used in a while, and then, and then she would lean very heavily on my arm. Um, and my mother enjoyed the concert very much, but then on the way out, uh, she her arm slipped from mine and she she fell in Broad Street in Philadelphia and mm. uh, broke her her tailbone uh, yeah. and I I felt I had made just a grievous mistake that I had uh, really set her up to fail and to get hurt my mother was laid up in bed in pain for weeks I felt horrendous um, and actually was you know as I write in the book it was my mother who basically said to me. You know, you need to forgive yourself that this is something that I wanted to do. I wanted to go to this, this concert very much, and I was willing to take this risk. You did the very best to accommodate me. Um, and I, 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 you know, the lesson I took from that is, you know, we, we, all, you know, we, we make decisions every day. In hindsight, they may not be exactly the right decision, but we're doing the best we can, and we need to re- appreciate our, the efforts that we're making. Right. Good words. We've uh, received many, many emails. Um, I've chosen a few of those. And right after the break, when we come back, um, I'll be reading some of those and and getting great suggestions and tips from Drs. Mayer and Drs. Jacob. Stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. 
While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and I am here with Dr. Barry Jacobs and Dr. Julia Mayer, who wrote Meditation for Caregivers, Practical, Emotional, and Spiritual Support for You and Your Family. So before the break, I was saying that I received a number of emails. Thank you so much for that. I always love getting your emails. Um, And they talked about a number of issues, which um, I want to throw out for you now for discussion and for suggestions. So... Dr. Jacobs, let me start with you. Um, One of the things we talked about at the beginning is that we have people who are caregiving for multiple generations. And Andrea, who wrote in, said that her son suffers from schizophrenia. He was a brilliant student who has now dropped out of school and can't hold down a job. She writes, other people seem to have perfect lives with perfect children, and quote, I feel angry at the universe most of the time, and I just can't seem to get rid of these feelings. Uh, I really feel for Andrea. I I, uh, have had many clients. I have several clients currently who are dealing with uh, the exact same situation. Uh, I think uh, caring for a loved one with chronic mental illness is is extraordinarily difficult. the way uh, schizophrenia works is uh, some, a, a child may appear to be well up until the age of uh, 18, 19, 20 when the symptoms of schizophrenia become apparent. Um, and what, what happens to the parents of that child is uh, you know, they, they go through uh, a lot of panic, uh, a lot of anxiety, uh, and then over time as it becomes apparent that their child's uh, illness is a chronic and persistent one, one which the child will have to contend with for the rest of uh, his life, uh, the parents go through a grief process. Uh, and as, as we know about grief and, and, and other, as, other types of loss, uh, you know, it has its stages. I mean, people are shocked, and then they're, they're angry and, and, and sad. 
uh, and then they eventually come to terms with it. Uh, but it, that's a, that can be a very long process. Uh, I, I have uh, one client in particular now whose son uh, is now 24, had, a, had a developed schizophrenia about five years ago. Uh, she still has to provide an enormous amount of care for him, uh, which affects her life greatly. Um, and she lives with feelings of resentment and sadness uh, and then you know, really has to strive very hard to find joy in life, both uh, joy in, in her relationship with him, but also uh, joy in the, the ability to live uh, other parts of her life and not just focus on the caregiving. Uh, but, but uh, you know, Andrea, it's very hard. So are there any suggestions, any tips that you would give Andrea to maybe perhaps start on kind of her own road to recovery? Uh, well, what, what I... I always suggest um, is that uh, parents in this situation uh, get involved with uh, NAMI and NAMI, uh, National Association for the Mentally Ill, uh, has excellent uh, training for family members of, of uh, loved, one, loved ones with uh, chronic mental illness, uh, and that training uh, basically helps them bas- understand the disease better, understand the treatments better, uh, and, 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 but also uh, gain a lot of support from other family members who are going through the same thing. Uh, I, I think, w- unfortunately, what happens is that there's because chronic mental illness is so stigmatizing that uh, many parents feel uh, ashamed of, of, of what's going on with their child and they, they end up uh, becoming more social, socially isolated. So the first thing I would say to Andrea is that it's very important for you to find other, other parents in the same uh, situation as, as you and to begin to, 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 to share with them uh, experiences. Because, you know, as Julie and I have found in what we write about in our book is that when, when people uh, just share and acknowledge each other's stories and, and acknowledge each other's uh, pain, if need be, uh, then, then they, they really uh, help uh, commiserate with one another and, and lessen the load a little bit. Um, so that, w- that would be my first suggestion. My second suggestion would be for uh, Andrea to become as, as strong an advocate for her son as possible by learning as much about his illness, uh, developing relationships with, uh, with uh, the son's uh, treatment team, um, and, and really uh, f- trying her best to, 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 to find a way for her son to become more independent. There are many people with schizophrenia who, who live very independent lives or, or live lives in the community with a certain amount of support, but don't necessarily have to depend on their parents for the rest of their lives. Uh, so, you know, th- those would be some of the things I, I would recommend she consider. Okay, thank you. I think those are great suggestions. Julia, um, Laura writes to us, my brother was always my mother's favorite, and by her description, the golden child. I'm the one taking care of my mother almost every day, and yet when my brother shows up, maybe once a month, quote, you might think God just walked into the house. <laughs> that is a, uh, an extremely common scenario, unfortunately, and it's often uh, along those uh, gender role lines, too. Um, the daughter is often, I think it's changing over time, but often it's the daughter taking care of the mother, and the mother's favorite is her son. Um, I, I suppose what she needs to think about is that her relationship with her mother is very solid. I'm assuming if she's doing the caregiving, she's there frequently. And at some level, her mother must appreciate her. But the brother is a treat. He's not there all the time, and she's, you know, the mother is grateful to see her. And I suppose there's another issue, which is that it, I don't know enough about the family, but oftentimes in my practice I see the same kind of family scenario. And the mother has a certain amount of shame, we discover, about needing care. And so it's easier for her to let her daughter take care of her. 
and not be especially appreciative because being appreciative means acknowledging the need for care, but to take the daughter for granted a little bit. And then the son, who's not doing much care at all, waltzes in the door and, and the mother doesn't have shame. She can be as appreciative of him and the little, the few things he does. He takes her out for lunch and it's a miracle. Um, and because she has a different relationship with him. And so I, I feel like the daughters in this situation, um, or it, it doesn't have to be that way. It could be reversed, or, or it could be two sisters. But the major caregiver needs to know that they're never going to get the appreciation that they deserve. They need to appreciate their own efforts, and they need to recognize that what they're doing is worthwhile, and they would do it regardless because they care for that parent. And uh, there are certain things you, you can't change, and it's never fair. It's just, you know, you make choices about what you're going to do, and, and you do it because it feels like the right thing to do. You know, I think that's an interesting statement because I think even though we don't verbalize it, I think deep in our souls, we're always looking for fairness um, yeah. and it and equality. And, and, and you're right, it's just not always there. Um, and so we just need to say, it's not going to be there and we need to move on because the person that's hurting the most is myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's eating up my energy. I'm not being able to enjoy certain things in my life, so I just I need to move on and do it for myself. I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, in your book, you talk about creativity and flexibility um, and the need to change. Sometimes little changes can make a big difference. Um, so you tell the story of Maria, um, who, who was kind of like a chef, and a story about her cooking family dinners. So, Julia, could you share that with us a little bit more? Absolutely. So Maria is the matriarch of a large family, and um, she always made Sunday night dinner for the entire extended family, and it was a day-long effort. And as she got older, um, and in my story about her, she's, she has reached 81, um, she is, is starting to have trouble doing it, and um, she becomes reluctant. And because she... I think all her life had been a kind of all-or-nothing matriarch. She wanted to just pass it on to her daughter. And it didn't need to be so black and white. And, and her daughter, to her credit, um, the Antonia character, all the names are changed, so <laughs> I have to look at who, what name I used. Um, she realizes that her mother has plenty more to offer and that she would actually not be very happy just being on the sidelines. And she comes up with this very creative solution, which is to have the mother be the sort of head chef, but that Antonia and her children would be, you know, the sous chefs, or, you know, the assistants. And, and um, they would all learn from Maria at the same time as allowing Maria to still be in charge of the meal, still get the credit for it, but not do as much because she couldn't handle doing as much. And what's really valuable about that solution um, was that it maintained a positive relationship among everyone, and, and, and there was plenty of learning to go along, around and, and uh, you know, tips passed down. But Maria could maintain as much um, autonomy as she could possibly could, which is what you always want for the person you're caring for. You want them to be as autonomous as possible. 
And in this solution, as Maria declines and, and maybe can't spend the whole day cooking, she needs to rest more, it's a gradual shift, and it hopefully will be acceptable to the entire family as it moves gradually to Antonia being in charge of the meals. So it's, and like, it's a sensitive like, solution. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just saying it was a sensitive solution to the cooking problem. No, I think it's a great solution because you get, you know, you have these problems and sometimes just a little kind of tweak or a little bit, uh, a little change, you know, just makes for an enormous uh, change. Um, Barry, we don't have very much time before the break, so I wonder if you could just quickly respond to one more email, and that is from Alan, who says, my mother continues to be nasty to me and insults me all of the time. I, I, it's impossible, and I don't think I can continue to care for her. Um, well, I, I have unfortunately heard this, this kind of story many times. I actually heard it this morning from a client. Uh, and so I, I think... Uh, you know, one thing we need to do is understand why a care receiver might be nasty, and, and I think Julie, uh, Julie has already alluded to this, and that is when people are on the receiving end of care, oftentimes it feels uh, shaming to them. Uh, they, they, you know, most of us would rather give than receive when we're in a position in life, as, as almost all of us are at some point, of having to receive care, being dependent on others. Uh, it's very frustrating, uh, and, it, uh, and, and sometimes that frustration comes out in the way of anger and resentment towards the, towards the very people who are caring for us. So I think if, uh, if this daughter can, can keep in mind that uh, her mother is being nasty, most, most certainly because she herself is feeling so vulnerable and unhappy, uh, then, it, then the daughter doesn't need to take the, the mother's uh, attacks so, so personally. Now, you know, that's hard. Um, I, 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 would, uh, I would also suggest to the daughter that, you know, perhaps her mother uh, might be depressed and maybe the mother needs to be evaluated uh, for, um, uh, by a primary care doctor for depression because we know that many people, when depressed, uh, become very irritable and angry and, and uh, lash out at others. Um, I also think that uh, this daughter, uh, you know, can say something to the mother that, that uh, not not shout back, uh, not 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 take, you know not attack back, but but really let the mother know that that some of the things that uh, she's saying are hurtful, and ask the mother whether she really wants to hurt her daughter. Um, and finally, I think that you know the daughter probably needs to to make some uh, arrangements for respite, to, to to step away from caregiving, have other people step up and and provide the hands-on care, uh, so that the, the daughter can uh, can re- replenish herself and, and get a different perspective on things. Okay, thank you. Our focus when we re- when we return, sorry, will be tips to help you decrease your stress and enable you to live a life that is just a little more peaceful. So stay with us. It's going to be stress busters when we return. Breathe. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. 
Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. We are surrounded by crises. Domestic violence, mental health issues, rape, suicide. Often, we feel alone if we are dealing with these issues ourselves, or we feel powerless to help others who are dealing with them. You don't have to feel alone. Listen for The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope with Jessica Pirro. The show is an open forum to share and get advice from others and guest experts and begin or continue the healing process. Listen live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been talking to Dr. Barry Jacobs and Dr. Julia Mayer, and we have had great advice and great suggestions for handling. Numerous caregiving situations, including seniors and also including uh, young adults. So before the break, I said we were going to talk about stress busters, one of my favorite topics, actually. Um, So, Julia, let's start with you. And let's talk about mindfulness. And what does that really mean? In this context, I think of mindfulness as staying in the moment, being aware of the here and now, so that old conflicts don't intrude, future worries don't get in the way, and there's a way in which a caregiver can just appreciate what there is in the moment and and not um, get lost in all sorts of other extraneous worries and feelings and things like that. So uh, when I'm working with people who are... Caregivers, most of the time, the things they complain about are tremendous anxiety, worry. They don't ever stop worrying about their care receiver. They have trouble sleeping because of that. They, they just um, never relax. So I try to help them find ways to carve out a little bit of time to escape from all of their worries, escape from all the thoughts they're having, and just be in the moment. And so some of the things that I recommend for people to do is to take a walk, and when they're taking that walk, if they have 10 minutes to take a walk even, just notice the nature around them, focus on what is there, focus on the temperature and the weather and the sunlight and and be in that moment. There are lots of ways for people to do that. Um, People find creative outlets like painting or writing, or music, 
um, anything that helps people to escape from the stress of caregiving. And so the whole idea of a mindful attitude is just reflecting, being aware, and and, um, not getting overwhelmed, just staying in the moment. You know, one of the things I find is that people think they need a very, very large amount of time to do something like this. So they think, well, you know, I don't have an hour available, so I can't take a walk or I can't go to the gym or I, whatever it is. And yet I, I think um, sometimes just walking outside your front door and breathing some fresh air for five minutes sometimes can be helpful. Absolutely, absolutely. Five minutes, ten minutes. If you can't even leave the room, sit with your eyes closed on the couch and imagine yourself at the beach or just breathe and focus on your breathing. Just take a few minutes of time out to calm down, slow your heart rate, lower your blood pressure, just to get a little relief. It doesn't take an hour. As a matter of fact, you could spend five minutes three times a day and it would make a tremendous difference. So one of the things you talked about that is a very, very common problem is sleep. So, Barry, I wonder if you would comment on that, because it it is a major problem for most of us. It's a major problem in the country as a whole, and in the last uh, 10 years, uh, scientists have have, uh, really demonstrated that uh, good sleep is associated with good health. Bad sleep is unfortunately associated with things like obesity, uh, the development of diabetes, and, and quite possibly the development of dementia. Uh, so uh, there's more and more emphasis uh, within uh, primary care offices uh, on teaching people good sleep habits, and this applies to caregivers as well. Uh, so we, we often talk with caregivers about uh, how uh, we understand that uh, if, if, they're, uh, if they're worrying about their loved one, if they're worrying about money, if they're worrying uh, about uh, the next day's medical appointment, that, uh, that, that they're going to have a difficult time sleeping. Um, and, and yet sleep is so important for their uh, physical and mental health. Uh, so we talk with, with them about some specific tips that, that are better known as sleep hygiene. Uh, that is, uh, they, they should go to bed every night at, at the same time and wake up at the same time every morning to, to help set the, the body's clock for sleeping and waking. Uh, they need to, to not use alcohol or, or to try to get themselves to sleep uh, and to try to really limit their caffeinated beverages during the day. Uh, they they need to use some of the mindfulness uh, exercises that uh, Julia was just referring to uh, to help uh, just be in the moment to be with themselves um, uh, as they lay in bed and not be uh, dwelling on what may be, may occur or may not occur the next day uh, and and finally uh, uh, you know we, we want people to to uh, have uh, routines that that they implement every night uh, to help their uh, minds and bodies uh, get into a more restful state. Uh, so these are just some of the, some of the ideas that uh, we have in, in a section in our book. So I will just share a quick story with you, and that is I was speaking to someone recently, and we were talking about the issue of sleep, and I was passing on to her something that um, I had learned from a previous guest about thinking positive thoughts um, when you go to bed, like, the children may have driven me crazy, you know, today, you know, but at least they're all healthy and, and that's really, you know, a great thing and trying to be more positive in your thoughts. And I saw her a couple of days ago and I said, how's it going for you? And she said, actually, I'm sleeping better. And I said, really, are you thinking more positive thoughts? And she said, yes. She said, like, last night I went to bed and I thought to myself, well, look, the children are still alive and I didn't kill them today. <laughs> so... 
Good. And, and, and humor I said it's great. Humor, humor works. You know? Oh, yeah. Humor's great. <laughs> um, in your book, you talk about, you use the phrase community of caregivers. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, the latest t- statistics say that there are 43 million Americans who are providing care to a loved one in the course of the year. That's a lot of us. I mean, that's, uh, you know, about 15 to 20 percent of, of the American population. All of us know people who are in this role. You know, Julia and I are in our 50s. I mean, we, we have conversations with our friends constantly about caring, about how each of us are, are contending with caring for, for our, our aging parents. So there are many people who are, are doing this work uh, and trying to figure out how to do it as, as best they can. So I think uh, re- the importance of a community of, 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 of fellow uh, you know, fellow caregivers, like-minded caregivers, is number one, that we, we gain a sense of, of, uh, of support by, by knowing that we're with others who are going through the same thing. Uh, number two, we, we share ideas uh, that may be uh, of... Uh, you know, mutual benefit of one to the other, uh, and number three, we we um, uh, we feel more normal in our own situations and, we, and in our in our own feelings. I mean, one of the things that we work very hard uh, to in our, in our clinical practices and in our book is to help caregivers not beat themselves up. Uh, no no caregiver benefits from from beating him or herself up, and uh, when people realize that even some of the negative feelings they have. Are, are common feelings shared by other caregivers, then they, they, they feel better about themselves. They don't feel so guilty. Uh, so that having that community of, of hands-on support, of emotional support, uh, matters tremendously. So, Barry, you mentioned support groups, and in your book you specifically talk about, um, for instance, a support group for parents of autistic children. And you had a very, very interesting perspective there because I think people feel as though if they're going to go to a support group, you know, they just have to tell all. They have to bear their soul and tell all. And and because of that, often will not go to a support group. But you had an interesting perspective on it, that, which I'd like you to share. Sure. Uh, I mean, in my experience, um, many people go to support groups uh, to listen, to hear other people's stories and to benefit from them. But that support groups are not just about uh, kind of bearing the soul. Um, there are many support groups, and I think specifically of, of uh, autism support groups like Autism Speaks, uh, they, they have made their mission to advocate for more research and better services for, for their loved ones with autism. Um, and so the support groups uh, serve a very important function, and that is to get people organized and focused in making a difference in this world. And, and what we know as psychologists is that when people take their, their experiences, particularly their adverse experiences, and make positive meaning of, of those experiences by helping others, then uh, it, it helps them deal with, with uh, their, their life circumstances so much better. So support groups can be vehicles for people to, to engage in advocacy uh, shoulder to shoulder with other people who, who are going through the same situations. What do you think are the potential rewards of caregiving? We've talked a lot about how difficult it is, but what are the rewards of caregiving? Well, there are many, um, and they don't, uh, it's not to the exclusion of how difficult and uh, what a struggle it is. But in our book, we really go out of our way to help people find those rewards. So, um, and in a certain way, um, it takes some mindfulness to do that. One of the things that we find that people do, and, and this has been true of ourselves too, going through the caregiving process, is that 
there's a sense of personal and spiritual growth that people often um, take away from their experience caregiving. The feeling that um, they've become more competent, more confident, that they've expanded their understanding of life and, and, and experiences that people have. And even sometimes suffering can make cause growth in terms of empathy and, um, and, and care for other people. So um, another positive reward is a sense of gratification. I've seen a lot of situations in which, I'll, I'll use the daughter-mother um, example again, where the relationship wasn't so great and that during the caregiving process, there was enough of a shift, there were adjustments, there was, you know, hopefully good communication. And at the end, um, when all was said and done and the mother may have passed away, the daughter could look back and feel good about her efforts, good about her relationship with her mother by the end, even if it had been rocky earlier, good about um, what she did and, and, um, and, and the meaning of it. Um, so I think a lot of caregivers also experience an enhanced sense of purpose. As Barry was saying um, about the, the, the support groups, when you are doing something meaningful, you can actually feel really good about doing that meaningful thing. You feel valued. You feel like you have purpose. A lot of people raising children feel like that, and then when they become empty nesters, they have a, a paucity of purpose and have a midlife crisis. <laughs> Julia, hold that thought. That's <laughs> an interesting thing. Getting, you know, um, when we come life. back, we're going to talk a little bit um, about grief, and we're going to ask um, both Dr. Jacobs and Dr. Mayer to share with us a story, perhaps, that has really resonated with them. Stay with us. Your life. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're talking to Dr. Jacobs and Dr. Mayer about practical, emotional, and spiritual support for you and your family as a caregiver. So, Julia, during the break, we were talking very briefly about how people actually go through grief and a mourning process uh, while the person they're caring for is still alive, um, and they don't recognize it as that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, As you're caregiving your aging parent and you're watching them diminish, you're watching them have health crises, you're taking them to the ER, uh, there's grief, in an- it's anticipatory grief. The, the caregiver often is waiting. When is this person going to pass away? Is it going to be sudden? Is it going to be horrifying? There's a lot of fear in caregiving on top of all of the responsibility and stress. The basic fear about loss and um, dealing with the pain of that. And so people do start grieving even before the person has passed away. And I, it definitely adds another layer of stress to caregiving. What are your suggestions for handling um, that grief? Because one of the issues that I see often is that other people will say, you know, it's time to get over this already. Just move on. You know, it's happening. Just live with it. Well, they are living with it. It's just painful. <laughs> um, that's that's not very supportive, <laughs> those comments. I, I think as a caregiver, you have to um, give yourself the right to feel whatever you're feeling, whenever you're feeling it, whether it's anger and hatred or grief or even joy and happiness. Whatever you're feeling, are, it's just feelings. We're human. No one can tell us to just stop having our feelings. So it's not a helpful comment. Um, so I would like caregivers to feel entitled to whatever it is. And if they have to work through their grief, then they need the time to work through their grief. And hopefully there are other people in their lives who are more empathic about that. Thank you. I, I, I think you're right and that caregivers often don't feel as though they have a right and that they're entitled um, to have these feelings, and especially over a period of time. Do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to share with us? I want caregivers to try to remember what they do feel grateful for despite all of the challenges and struggles if they even take a few moments and list five things that they are grateful for, it really helps give the person perspective. It helps them feel a little bit better. I also try to help people find humor and joy wherever they can. The grief and misery will find them. But if we want to um, live life as well as we can, we have to find the humor and joy and, and make that a priority. Thank you so much. Uh, Barry, any last thoughts from you? Uh, I, I would just say that, um, you know, as, as Julia was, was mentioning, you know, we, we have to approach caregiving as a potential growth experience uh, because people do, in fact, grow. Uh, and sometimes they grow in ways that they don't expect. And so uh, 
many, unfortunately, there's a kind of negative narrative about caregiving in our culture, which with our book, we're hoping to, to, to open up more positive possibilities that, that people can really uh, gain things from caregiving that will make them uh, feel, feel more confident and capable in, in their endeavors you know, after caregiving is over. Uh, and so uh, you know, this, this, is, this is hard work, but it's good work, and uh, caregivers should be proud of what they're doing. Oh, thank you. Uh, will you tell us more about your books and your blogs and any contact information you want to share with us? Uh, sure. So the name of the book, again, is uh, AARP Meditations for Caregivers, uh, and it's available on Amazon as well as many other sites and you know, all bookstores. Uh, and uh, you know, if people would like to read more about the book, they can go to our Facebook page, which uh, is is the is AARP Meditations for Caregivers is, is the way to get to the page. And on that page, we have information about the book as well as a blog post that we've written for uh, the, uh, the AARP.org and and the Huffington Post and, and other outlets. Uh, and and the theme in all of our work is how do we find. The, the silver lining in, in, in caregiving. What, what are the positive rewards that we can all gain from this as hard as caregiving is? Um, and so, uh, you know, we, our, our books, uh, this particular book uh, is filled with caregiver stories. We're always interested in hearing uh, stories of other caregivers as, as, they, uh, as they do the best they can. Uh, and you can contact us through the, the Facebook page and, and we'll, we will respond to you. You know, I will say that this is an, an excellent book, and I don't want people, AARP is a wonderful organization, but I, I don't want people to be put off by the fact that it is uh, published by AARP. You have lots of great suggestions and lots of things you talk about for caregivers of, of anyone of any age. So I would, I would urge you to read it, even if you're a caregiver for someone who's younger than a senior. Right. So, just just to, uh, to to clarify, actually, the publisher is DeCapo Lifelong Books. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. okay. So, so there are a number of AARP branded books which are published by other publishers, and this is one of them. Um, and so, it, it you know, DeCapo is a great publisher, and we're very happy with them. And they they, they uh, uh, but we're also uh, our association with AARP is is uh, is really enriched our lives. You know, I've been running for AARP for years, and it's it's been wonderful. That's great. We've been listening to Dr. Barry Jacobs and Dr. Julia Mayer talk to us about caregiving, and we so appreciate you've given us lots of great advice and great suggestions and tips. Thank you so much for being with us today on Caught Between Generations. Thank you so much for having us. Thank Thank you. So ordinarily, I ask you to do um, one thing for yourself. Today, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Um, it's going to take you just a few minutes, but believe me, it will mean a lot to you later on. So pull out your phone on your notes section or take a piece of paper, uh, take a pen, quill pen, marker. It really doesn't matter what you're doing. But I want you to put together two lists. So one of those lists is to list actually the ways in which people can help you. So when someone says to you, oh, is there any way I can help? Or Mother's Day is coming up. What would you like? You're now going to have an answer. And it can be anything from a massage to movie tickets to spending a few hours with your family member. It really doesn't matter what it is. 
Maybe it's going to the grocery store, but you need to have an answer for them. If the person asks you and you actually answer them and they act surprised and stammer, then just laugh and say, oh, it's okay. But they're going to stop bothering you by constantly asking what they can do to help. And those people who actually can help you will now know what they can do to actually help you. The second thing is make a list of the people who can help you. Put down their names and their telephone numbers. Post it in your house, wherever you are, because in the middle of a crisis, you can't start thinking about who to call and what their number is. You want that available to you immediately. It's Caught Between Generations. I'm hoping that on Fridays you're watching us on Facebook Live at approximately 8.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please help us by posting a review on our Facebook page or on iTunes. And remember, keep emailing me at drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, just one thing for yourself this week. For tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.